Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 267. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hi, Valerie. So good to see you. Great to see you, Perry. On today's show, we're going to answer questions from our listeners, which include, is the new metal detox technology something revolutionary to protect hair? Is there anything that can be done to get hair to grow thicker? Hmm. What's the difference between hair mousse and hair gel? Do you need to worry about kidney damage from products with ethoxydiglycol? Yikes. Ah! (laughs) Can a hair conditioning treatment last as long as four months? Whoa, a hair-loaded episode. Yeah, this this episode sounds like it's going to be pretty hairy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the perfect segue into our inane chit-chat. How Have you had a good week? How's it been going? Things here in Chicago are nice. I gave a talk this week for the Society of Cosmetic Chemists, Connecticut chapter. Was it about cats? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, could you imagine? What if I gave a talk about cat hair? Cat hair. I could. But, uh, you know, I've given a couple talks for different chapters for the SCC. I'm working with another chapter this fall and then the global IFSCC. That's right. Yeah, you're doing the one in Quebec. So what was this uh, talk about? It's the same thing. People want to know about hair color, and that's what I do. I I run a big R&D department, but I also do hair color at the end of the day. It's it's one of my loves. And I have to say, I thought the Chicago chapter was a little more lively than the last chapter. Nice. Well, you know. (laughs) A couple people asked questions. It was a little more crickets, though, Uh, Uh, so I hope they liked it. I, I tried to tell some jokes, but with these virtual meetings, you never know how it goes over. It's very challenging. I When I do a virtual meeting, I just pretend that there's a huge audience and they're laughing at everything I say. <laughs> sort of like when I do the Beauty Brains podcast here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So in other news, uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist is gone this week. He's out of state oh, no. visiting family. Yeah. Okay. So I'm all alone. Wow. And do you want the good news or the bad news? Let's hear the good news first. Or the bad news? <laughs> Uh, they're actually the same. And oh, I, the same news. Well, it's good news for me, bad news for Mr. Cosmetic Chemist. Uh, oh, so we posted about our last episode online. Yeah. And a couple people were like, hey, I know you were talking about that uh, modern drone delivery mechanics technology with the NIOD fractionated eye contour concentrate. And, you know, funny, but actually like this product's like awesome. Ah. So I bought it. Oh, boy. (laughs) I bought it, yeah. Mr. Cosmetic Chemist is not going to be pleased, especially at 68 bucks for the bottle. Was that the NASA-inspired technology? No. Oh. That was like 400 bucks, I think. Oh, right, right. So, you know, he's lucky I started with the NIOD (laughs) eye serum, but... you know, I, I st- I'm still peeking back at the NASA thing. I know it's probably a gimmick, but uh, he, he would really kill me if he came home and I had that. Unless it was like floating in orbit above your house, that might be interesting. <laughs> yeah, and then he like couldn't see it. That'd be pretty cool. Well, you'll you'll have to let us know how that goes. I will. So I'll keep you guys posted. Uh, hopefully I get it this week, next week. I don't know, but I'll keep everyone um you know in the loop on whether or not i like it yeah yeah and then the last bit of stuff we have going on is we did finally get a hold of our last patreon winner of our book giveaway yes and she was very excited she's in belgium so it's uh off in the mail it went media mail so (laughs) one day you'll get it but uh i wanted to let everyone know we have another new book giveaway yeah we are going to give away copies of the Beauty Brains books. I have a couple of extra copies, so uh, why don't we give them away to our patrons? So exciting because we get asked all the time, how do I get a copy of this book? So the first one we're going to start giving away is the original, the OG, The Beauty Brains. That's the name of the title. Indeed, that that is the <laughs> name of the title. <laughs> As the one that's, that's called... <laughs> Our eponymous, right? Is that the term eponymous? Eponymous is the correct word, yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, so basically, it's named after us. <laughs> We're going to start calling the show the Grammar Brains. 
Although we do have a few uh, grammar lovers out there, and we're so grateful for the corrections. So we are. new book giveaway. It's going to end in the month of June. So Perry, how do people get involved in the giveaway? Well, first of all, you join Patreon. Uh, and this is for our patron supporters, and that is go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. So subscribe at any level, everybody who is a subscriber. On what day should we do the pick? Well, why don't we do it uh, June 30th, the evening of June 30th? June 30th, we will do the drawing. And if you're a patron on June 30th, then you will be entered to uh, win the book. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world, we will send it to you. And it doesn't matter if you've been a long-term giver, you're a new giver, we're just giving. We appreciate all of our patrons. Although I said we would deliver anyway, but we're, do, do we? would we send it if somebody won in Antarctica? Well, we'd have to go on an Antarctic cruise to get it to them. I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind either, as long as the weather was nice. (laughs) All right, let's head into some beauty science news. Lots of news stories. Which uh, one did you find interesting, Valerie? Well, there is a 2021 beauty influencer rich list. We're not on it. What, so. what? What? How are we not on it? We're, we're Because we don't have enough patre- Patreons. <laughs> I'm oh, we we Could we get a few? Oh, wait a minute. You know, I was looking at this story. So the number... Now, first of all, I know some of these people, which is... That, that, that's progress, because usually I don't know any of these Yeah, people. that's impressive. Actually, I heard... Yeah. So, so the number one ranked person was Huda Cotton? Huda Cotton, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there you and, go. Not only was she an influencer, but she really, uh, you know, I, well, I mean, I guess she was famous and then she came out with her line. I think that actually even propelled her a little bit further. Sure. That's how I heard about her, her coming out with her own cosmetics line. Uh, but she amasses, according to this article, which we have not verified, um, she gets about $3,000 per TikTok video. Wow. $3,887 per YouTube video. $158,515, and these are all U.S. dollars, uh, per Instagram post for a oh. combined total of one sixty five four zero two, for just making three posts. That's pretty impressive. I've got to put in a lot of work hours to get that kind of money. Well, accordingly, she has 55 million followers on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. That's a lot of followers. We're, we're not quite there. We're at 16,000, um, would... so... <laughs> <laughs> boy oh boy one day we'll be huda probably not uh yeah, and then yeah. james charles is ranked number two of course we all know james charles was one of the original uh male cover girl models and he has over 88 million follows on in- followers on instagram youtube and tiktok wow. which is more than huda but he takes the second spot so he commands a little less look at that a woman earning more than a man and he he earns $150,733 from each post on the platforms. Boy, that's that's pretty good. Now, I, he has been in a little bit of trouble lately, hasn't he? Yeah, you know, and uh, it's tough being in a public spotlight. I'll say that for sure. Not that yeah. I know. I'm not in a public spotlight, <laughs> but it can be tough, right? When you're, you live under a magnifying glass, and that's one of the challenges of of social media is you're, you're under constant scrutiny because you have this huge platform. So, uh, yeah, he's in a little hot water. Yeah. And I think there's, uh, issues of him being, you know, uh, uh, demonetized on platforms and things. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that turns out, but, uh, everything is not hunky dory for him. You know, and I would like to know how many people call him Charles. Do you know how many people call me George? (laughs) A lot. Wait, people call you George all the time. Oh, well, there you in go. E- mostly in email, yeah, and I just, uh, I answer it. It's fine. You know how many people uh-huh. call me Randy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many people call me Randy? <laughs> right, right. People who don't <laughs> listen to the show and then say they're fans and they, uh. they want to come on. Uh, and then number three is Bretman Rock, uh, who rose to fame when he was a teenager. And he ranks uh, closely behind, actually, it's not close at all, 14.3 on YouTube, 9,000 on TikTok and 51 on Instagram. So quite a spread 
uh, from number three to number two. But who knows? Maybe next year we are going to be on this list, Perry. I know. We could almost catch up to Bretman. Now, I, he's one person that I had never heard of before. So that's where yeah, I Yeah, I was actually surprised that Jeffree Star came in at number five. Uh, Jeffrey has had, uh, you know, a little bit of challenges. Uh, yeah, himself, he's had some problems too, yeah. I thought he'd be top three. <sighs> well, you know, it's very competitive there. Yeah. And then uh, pretty much no one else except for Bethany Moda, uh, I heard on this list. So uh, I've heard of uh, Nikki Tutorials. I've heard of that channel. So Really? Yeah, yeah I have. Something uh, Perry's heard of that <laughs> everyone's surprised he heard of that I haven't heard of. I, I, I Sometimes I pay attention to these, uh, <laughs> these YouTube cool. influencers. Yeah. yeah. Well, what'd you see this week? Well, I saw a story, uh, and I was first tipped off to this story on Reddit. There's a Reddit thread that I follow called uh, Skin Addicts, I think. Skin Care Addicts? Something like that. Anyway, they had a story on there, which was a link to a story in Dermatology Times. That's uh, uh, like the New York Times, right? But for... But Dermat- for derms, right. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, no, I, it, it, you, you are right. Um, well, as far as things go, there was an article published in there uh, where an independent lab called Valisure, they had taken... Which, by uh, the way, I'm not affiliated with. I don't put the Val in Valisure. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, they are... Well, they claim themselves to be an independent lab. I have no doubt... You know, they are independent lab. Um, they took, they they have existed to test drugs that are going on in the market in the United States. And they decided to take a look at sunscreens. And so they took 200-plus uh, sunscreens, and they analyzed the sunscreens for benzene content. Now, benzene is... Uh, uh, classified as a known carcinogen, and it's also an ingredient that... They, the FDA does not want you to have in your products, and they nor and for, do most global yeah, geographies. Right. Yep. No, no, but no government wants you to have that in there. Actually, no company really wants to put benzene in their products because there's no good reason to have it in there. But the reason that it does end up in some products is that benzene is a very useful chemical for creating chemical reactions to make other useful ingredients that don't have benzene in them, and so sometimes that a uh, an ingredient can have a residual level of benzene in it, and then that can, I guess, presumably get into the final product. So of these two hundred plus sunscreens that they tested, they found that twenty seven percent of them contained uh, some detectable levels of benzene. Now the FDA doesn't have a specific. Which, limit. by the way, yeah, the fact that they just had detectable levels doesn't mean anything right right they found it, says, it but right away people are like oh my gosh right they oh, found well. detectable levels <laughs> yes what it, exactly and i should say benzene benzene is ubiquitous in our environment it comes from lots of sources uh pollution air pollution it comes from car exhaust there's there's lots of sources of benzene um, but as far as in, in uh, a sunscreen goes, nobody puts benzene in their sunscreen for any reason. They do so not. if nope. it is in there, it's a residual part of an, another ingredient that was used in there. So they found benzene in about 27% of the samples that they tested, and they made a big list of them. Uh, so now people are all, all freaked out about that. And what they found was that the highest levels was about six parts per million. Uh, And then they found some, you know, accordingly, the FDA has a limit. It's interesting. In the article, they say that one of the quotes was that there's no safe limit of benzene in products. Okay. And then another quote was that uh, the FDA has a limit, a safe limit of two parts per million in products. So I don't know how they're both the same, but okay. Uh, Whenever you hear someone say there's no safe limit of something, I always just think, well, what if there was one molecule? One molecule of nothing is going to be harmful to anyone, uh, you know, to a human, human being. One molecule will not. 
there is a there is with everything there is a upper limit where you will have problems and there's a lower limit where you could tolerate but as far as benzene goes uh two parts per million is what the fda says and you know they found it in a bunch of sunscreens so what does that mean for consumers that does not mean that just because they found it that your sunscreen is unsafe now and you should go throw it away uh but it does mean that you know they found benzene in some sunscreens and if that bothers you as a consumer you can see the list of sunscreens where they found it and the thing is they found it in some sunscreens but it was it could be the same formula but a different batch of that formula and they didn't find it in others so there's something going on at the manufacturing level where there's some residual benzene left in some of these products yeah a couple things that i thought were interesting and for sure this is not the last we'll hear of it is that uh you know they didn't detect it in certain batches they did in others, which again, you can find anything if you look for it with today's equipment. You know, the detection level is less than 0.1 part per million, which is, uh, you know, pretty tiny. Again, doesn't mean anything. And then 26 lots, uh, you know, had detectable benzene below the limit. And then only 14 had uh, a little bit higher. And, and so I'd like to know, you know, they tested sunscreens, but that doesn't mean it's a sunscreen active that's contributing to this. It could be other components within the product that have uh, similarities. When I formulate products that have benzene as a solvent or some kind of starting chemistry, you always look at the benzene um, impurity levels and make sure you're working within those limits. So I, th- I think a lot more information should come uh, from this company so that people can not freak out, but, uh, I mean, I think that's the whole point, right? They, they wanted people to freak out. And then the other thing people forget is that benzene is so prevalent in our environment. Uh, you know, people are going to freak out about sunscreens, but you mentioned it. What about, uh, car pollution from cars and airplanes and other sources in our environment, which by the way, I bet you the level is so much higher. People don't even realize the EPA sets uh, maximum levels of benzene in our drinking water, which is, you know, five parts per billion, uh, which is 0.005 ppm. So we're even uh, drinking it. I think, um, yeah, sunscreens are a great place to look. People, meaning manufacturers, chemists, should be checking and regularly testing uh, for benzene limits within their ingredients. But uh, if people are really worried about benzene, there's a lot of uh, bigger fish to fry. Yeah, and the other thing is they tested these sunscreens, they found some, you know, they tested your moisturizer, uh, your facial cleanser, you might find some there too. It's that they didn't test it. Um, It's just a a residual of some products, and that doesn't mean the products are unsafe. It just means that we're getting pretty good at detecting things. Yeah, more to come. So yeah, I actually, uh, I think we'll follow up. I'd love to talk to people on the raw material synthesis side for sunscreen raw materials and see what they think. Some of them do have this cyclic benzene ring structure uh, in their format, which makes them great UV absorbers. Uh, So surely it's some impurity there. It could also be carbomers. A lot of carbomers are synthesized in benzene. Some of the older ones, not so much the newer ones, but be kind of interesting to see where it comes from. Well, one of the things, I'll just end with this. One of the things was that on the list, uh, most of the ones that were found to have higher benzene levels were aerosol products. Very interesting. Yeah, we'll see. So stay tuned. But as far as if you're worried about benzene, uh, take a look at the link that we have in Dermatology Times. They have a list of all the products that they found it in. Um, But, you know, if it's me, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But if it really bothers you, uh, just avoid those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> avoid those batches and lot numbers. And exactly. I think we have one quick announcement on Perry's recall report. We do. Hit the cue the music. Well, you know, Valerie, we like to go to the FDA and keep abreast on all of the recalls and. It's our public duty to inform people because not everybody's going to the FDA website and trolling it. And this way, you you don't have to. But we do. And we found there was a recall report. 
It's been issued to Nature's Truth Lavender Body Cream. This is the four ounce product, the lot number 21057, UPC code 84009310296. And it seems that the product may contain high levels of yeast contamination. So if you bought the Nature's Truth Lavender Body Cream, contact the company in Ronkon Coma, New York, and see if you need to get a refund. Yeah, I mean, also you probably shouldn't use the product especially if it's been contaminated with yeast you know not every day you see a yeast recall it's kind of interesting you do not but you sure do see a lot more microbial contaminations now that everyone's getting away from parabens and formaldehyde donors <laughs> yep 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 all right let's answer some beauty science questions our first question comes to us from patreon Hi, Valerie and Perry. I've seen ads for a new metal detox product that promises less breakage when using the whole product range and on bleached hair when yeah. coloring. Is this a revolutionary new product that will help protect my fine hair when lightening? And how does it compare to the bond building treatments like Olaplex? Could I use a combination of the two for even better results? Thank you for your time and knowledge. I learned a lot from your research and you have helped me become a much more skeptical consumer. Sam. Well, thank you for that, Sam. Um, this is an interesting technology. I had not seen it before. Uh, I, I know mm-hmm, you have, mm-hmm. but <laughs> they they just launched it. I oh, watched yeah. a a very painful launch. Painful. Oh. <laughs> nothing about the product, but you know, uh, my mind was blown as a scientist attending a hair show for the first time. Sure. Um, it's a lot of pizzazz, and sure. it's just very different from the laboratory. So a lot of pizzazz with this product launch. There is a lot of pizzazz. Well, I looked at the technology, and the claim is that they have technology that neutralizes copper in the hair, and that will help prevent breakage. Huh, uh, the- sounds like another professional brand's claim, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Well, there are a bunch of questions that, when I saw this uh, claims and technology, there's a bunch of questions that raised for me. First of all, is there really copper in hair? And that's easy enough to find out. According to various studies, including one I reviewed in the Journal of Human and Ecological Risk Assessment, they found 8.9 milligrams per kilogram of hair, so 8.9 parts per million uh, of copper in hair. Now, they attempted to find the source of that, and they thought maybe it was food, but they weren't able to find a connection between high Uh, copper-containing foods and the level of copper in your hair. So it's possible it's some sort of other environmental factor. But the bottom line is, yes, copper does get in your hair. Yeah, we have covered a bit on some of our earlier episodes together because I could talk about water all day. (laughs) Uh, I wish there was like something so I could become a water sommelier, but copper is present in, you know, just regular public water systems. Uh, It can be present if you're uh, in a public pool or public water where they're, they're using these copper algicides to uh, treat for microorganisms sure, uh, sure. in the water. So it can be in the environment, yes. Definitely. Now, so copper's in your hair. Does the metal copper cause any problems? Uh, well, in an article published in the Journal of Cosmetic Science, uh, researchers found that copper in wet hair that was exposed to UV light will increase the level of the free radicals caused by the UV exposure, thereby leading to further damage. Now, this didn't seem to have any effect when the hair was dry, though. So if you have copper and dry hair and UV exposure, that does not add to extra free radicals. Now, while the researchers claim that prolonged exposure to sunlight results in hair damage, ultimately leading to tensile strength loss, split ends, and other hair damage, In this study, they did not specifically look at the effect that the copper was having on hair. That is to say, they uh, researchers only looked at the free radicals, and they didn't look at things like combing and breakage and that kind of thing. So they only extrapolate that copper in hair is going to cause extra damage, but they just didn't show that in the study that I saw. Well... Perry, I am a huge fan of Dr. Jennifer Barsh, who is the secondary author on this paper. I've like read all her papers. She's from P&G, right? Yep. I actually told her that one time and she was probably thinking, psycho. (laughs) 
I've I'm like, her. I have read all your papers. I've met her at the Society of Cosmetic Chemists on a couple of occasions. Yeah. yeah, she's so great. She really actually has done tons of research in this area. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the scope of hair color and hair health. And I will say, from a hair coloring perspective, you know, copper on its own, yeah, when wet UV exposure, they, they've demonstrated that in a laboratory setting. But when you add hydrogen peroxide to hair and there's copper present in the hair, mm-hmm. uh, that can be a bad equation because copper is a, a catalyst for the degradation of hydrogen peroxide, which is an exothermic reaction. So uh, gotcha, not good gotcha. if you have copper in the hair and you're adding hydrogen peroxide to it. All right. Well, now that sort of led probably to the insight that developed this this product or they saw some other company do it and they just copied it. But um, <laughs> their main claim... Which we're not though, saying they did, but no, we're just no, pointing it's, out the facts. It's just, it's, it's, we're just making observations. That's just the way products get made in the in the cosmetic industry. You either come it up with it on your own or you copy somebody else who's doing it. So. All views are own and not affiliated <laughs> with our employer. Of course. Well, their main claim is that this product has uh, gly- glycoamine which is supposed to neutralize excess copper in the hair. And then they go on to say that it provides up to 87% less breakage. Okay, so how did they test that, though? You know, to get the 87% breakage, <laughs> this is what they did. This is what they're testing. I know. Uh, they, guys, like... They took anyway, a bunch of tresses. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they took a bunch of hair tresses, and they used the pretreatment. Then they bleached the hair. Then they shampooed with the standard shampoo. Uh, uh, with the shampoo and then they use their uh afterward product their mask their hair mask yeah and then they compared that to tresses that were bleached and then just shampooed (laughs) well of course like anything's gonna perform better if you put a mask on it i yeah everyone knows that masks are so nourishing and so reparative (laughs) well and their mask is just a conditioner so yeah if you compare Shampooed hair versus conditioned hair. Conditioned hair is going to lead to less breakage. <laughs> That's the whole point of conditioning. I, so I don't really get what is the benefit that this product is delivering. <laughs> so needless to say, I'm not terribly impressed. Now, I would have been impressed if they said there was 87% less breakage if they compared it to tresses that were shampooed and conditioned, right? Now, that would mm-hmm. be something. But why do you think they didn't do that, Valerie? Well, I don't want to say they didn't have good results, but like you obviously want to put your best foot forward as a brand. Yes. And if you can mislead people by comparing shampoo conditioner versus shampoo, yeah, you're going to get better numbers for sure. Harry said it, not me. <laughs> That's what I just <laughs> So anyway, how does this compare to the bond building treatments like Olaplex? Well, okay. If we accept that these products work in the way that the marketing people say they work, uh, then they work in different ways. And so <laughs> being a chemist is so hard. Uh, yes. <laughs> right. Isn't it's, it so hard to be is. us? We're like laughing at this punchline that our, our listeners just, <laughs> anyway. I'm just saying, theoretically, if we accept what they say, yeah, they work in different ways. And so you could use the two things. Uh, Olaplex, you know, works with the sulfur-sulfur bonds. This metal detox binds to copper and stops the formation. So, yeah, you could use them in combination. However, you know, I really doubt you're going to see any noticeable improvement. In truth, I haven't seen any evidence that using either of these technologies uh, is going to be better at preventing damaging versus using a standard rinse-out conditioner. Uh so, yeah, that's, I mean, they, and then they claim they have patented technology. Uh, okay, you, you, you spent money to get a patent. That's fine. The, it was also developed at a university. Yeah, oh, sure. <laughs> you can work with a university. That's fine. Too. That, that, these things, uh, from a chemist standpoint, these things aren't terribly impressive to me. These are just the kind of claims that you would make if the product doesn't have any obvious immediately benefits over other stuff that exists in the market. <sighs> <laughs> now wait, Valerie, just to end this on a more positive note, I will say it's an interesting story. Um, I don't think it's going to provide much noticeable benefit to your hair, but you know, if you bleach it and you know, just make sure you're using a, a conditioner. Well, I, I'm gonna 
add on to that. Okay, please. Yeah, yeah. So it, it reminds me of something my friend saw on a bumper sticker one time. And it, it's a little religious, but basically it, it was uh, the premise of, you know, that's okay if you don't believe in God, but I'd rather be like on the safer side and assume he did. So I'm going to, you know, c- kind of do some better things. That's the old uh, Pascal's wager of the belief yes. in God. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, it's a bit uh, risk adverse, you know, a risk adverse approach to life. And that's sure. totally fine. And that's the way I kind of see this. Like, it's not going to hurt the hair. And we do know that copper is bad for the hair. So, you know what? Throw in some metal detox. And at least you can have some peace of mind that, you know what? could be a good thing and uh there's not a worst case scenario here because uh the worst case would be it didn't do anything so um that's how i would approach it i'd throw it in i'd throw yeah, both of uh, them in that and olaplex why not <laughs> yes if you've got the money if you got the money <laughs> if you don't got the money just use a conditioner <laughs> <laughs> and that should work too all right who's our next question from we've got an audio question that comes from liz Hi there, Beauty Brains. I absolutely love the show. This is Liz from Detroit, Michigan, and I have a question for the both of you regarding hair and laser caps or laser combs. I have very fine hair, and I would say thinning hair, so to say, from wearing tape-on extensions and other extensions throughout the last decade or so. And I've noticed my hair has become thinner and thinner. So I'm looking for an option or an alternative or something that will start the thickening process. I know my hair is growing because my roots are there and I can see them. So I know I have hair growth, but I have so much breakage, but I also bleach my hair. I go from platinum blonde to maybe some highlights, give it a break during the summertime. So I do destroy my hair as well. Beauty Brains, can you help me out? Should I go the laser route? I know it's very expensive. And I also heard about the PRP from the dermatologist to where you can use PRP for the scalp as well for hair growth. Does it work or is it just a myth? Thank you so much, Beauty Brains. I love you. You guys are like fabulous. Thank you. I always like to be called fabulous. <laughs> yeah. Well, Liz, great questions. I'm sorry to hear you're having problems. Unfortunately, as you age, hair can become thinner and thinner. Um, you see a peak of it getting, you know, when you're a kid, it's thin, and then you kind of get this peak into adulthood of thickness in terms of fiber diameter, and then it starts to get thin again as you uh, hit past your 60s, according to studies. So, um, sorry to hear that that's happening to you for a multitude of reasons, but here's a couple things I picked out from your uh, concerns that you have. You have fine thinning hair anyway, so the fact that it's fine, it may have a bigger propensity to breakage. You're wearing yeah. tape-on extensions to add thickness, which can lead to breakage. Now, they can and- also lead to traction alopecia, couldn't it? Correct. Which is, uh, yeah, a hair loss due to, you know, pulling on the hair. And so I think that could happen. Exactly. And you're bleaching your hair oh, yeah. well, for Jesus, as we say. Yeah. So um, when I hear all of those things, you've even acknowledged yourself, you have lots of breakage. The great news is you see hair growing from the scalp, uh, which means that you're not having hair loss due to any balding. So, of course, consult a physician physician as always, but everything I'm hearing out of this is breakage, breakage, breakage. So you need to do things that work on the actual hair fiber and reduce the propensity for breakage. So doing laser, probably not going to reduce breakage. In fact, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Certain lasers, uh, wavelengths may increase breakage and PRP for the scalp, uh, PRP, uh, 
Perry did ask me what that is, so he's not on the up and up for everything. Maybe <laughs> influencers with Nikki's uh, YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's the platelet-rich plasma, which is where you take your own uh, body's uh, platelets from the blood and the, pl- and the plasma from the blood, and you put it on the skin uh, to rejuvenate. Allegedly, it stimulates collagen growth. Uh, so that's working on the follicular level. Allegedly. That wouldn't be my first choice, <laughs> or the laser, quite frankly. Yeah, so I, I think you have to focus on what are you doing in your routine that is causing breakage, and that's extensions, uh, bleaching, over-processing. So I would start there and make sure you're definitely lubricating the hair fiber. Look for the ingredient polyquaternium 37. It's an excellent conditioning agent and lubricant. You can also look for lightweight oils and silicone since you have fine hair and you don't want it to weigh down. And then just in general, try to reduce the chemical and mechanical damage that you have. Uh, Give your hair a break from the extensions. Uh, I I know you want your hair to look uh, like it has more volume, but try to rely on some styling techniques for that uh, just to give your hair a break and allow it to grow out and maybe try on, um, you know, a different color. I know, you know, people like to lighten their hair uh, bleaching is really wonderful uh, to create fun looks, but not great for your hair health, hair health. So I would pass on the laser, pass on the PRP, and really focus on the actual hair, not the scalp. Yeah, sounds like good advice. All right, who's our next question from, Perry? Our next question comes from Elizabeth, who is another one of our patrons. Thanks, Elizabeth. She says, hi, Beauty Brains. I've been wondering lately, are hair, mousse, and gel really different? Like, do they function meaningfully different, or is mousse just a light hold gel with a fun metal packaging? <laughs> hmm. Well, thanks, Elizabeth, for that. Valerie, you know, the guy I used to work for at Alberto Culver, he claimed that he was actually the one who introduced mousses to American consumers. That's a pretty strong claim. To make. Well, Len- Leonard Lavin, who was the person who started Alberto Culver, or at uh-huh. least he bought Alberto Culver and then made it the $2 billion company that it became, that's the story that he tells in his book, Winners Make It Happen. <laughs> that's a... <laughs> Are you kidding? Is that the title of his book? That is the title of his book, yeah, and okay. I have read it, too. That's that is a book we're not giving away on Patreon. I'm sorry. <laughs> we are not. I draw the line. <laughs> Winners Make It Happen. He also apparently wrote some famous uh, song, but uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But what is here nor there is Moose and Gel. What do, you, what do you think of Moose and Gel, Valerie? Well, you know, it's tough because I don't think there's a, tech, uh, a technical definition to either of these. I really think this is consumer terminology. Well, I will say just, okay, but from a consumer standpoint, a gel is like uh, a little globby thing you squeeze out in your it's hand. Cl- Clear clear globs, that's it's a like technical a, term. It's like clear jello or something, like colored jello, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you put it in your hair. And then a mousse is like a foam thing. It's like shaving cream for your head, right? So They're really texture terms. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. But as far as what the products do, I you know, when I first got into the cosmetic industry and we had a gel and we had a mousse and they both used uh, PVP as their styling polymer, I'm like... What's the difference here? <laughs> and you couldn't tell a difference when it was on tresses or anything. It was just kind of different in the way that it gets applied and just the way that maybe it ultimately feels. Now, I will say that the difference that I was sort of trained on is that gels are more for styling to hold your hair, where mousses are more for conditioning with some styling. So Exactly. I would yeah. say gel when people say, hey, we need to develop a gel. To me, that is a hold product. You want to hold a style because that's yeah. the consumer perception. And you might, in that gel, you might put conditioning ingredients will make it easier to comb through your hair or something like that. But mousse is more based first on conditioning. So it's more like a leave-in conditioner that will also hold your hair. The reality, though, in terms of the amount of hold, there's a lot of overlap here. You can find mousses that will hold just as well as a gel, and you can find gels that won't hold as good as a mousse. So, Yeah, so you got to check the uh, hold factor, the way it's recommended to be used, uh, 
really look at what the brand is saying it does from a styling benefit attribute um, to determine what the differences are because it's it's really mousse gel texture term. Uh, they both impart some hold, how much, and the way you should use it's really the question. Yeah, it really is quite amazing. All the different styling products and forms that are available, and you know they all kind of hold the hair. <laughs> so, <it's> like... <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Well, our next question comes to us from Tasha. It's an audio question. Hi, beauty brains. I have a question about the ingredient ethoxydiglycol. In the American version of the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic Serum and many other vitamin C serums imitating it, ethoxydiglycol is used at concentrations upwards of 15 to 20 percent. However, EU regulations stipulate that the maximum amount of ethoxydiglycol to be used in a leave-on product is 2.6%, as animal studies have shown it to cause kidney damage. Do we need to be concerned about kidney damage if we are using a product containing high amounts of ethoxydiglycol? Thank you, and much love from the UK. Well, that's a really great question. So, ethoxydiglycol is used in the cosmetics industry in most products because one, it's a solvent and the other, it's a penetration enhancer. I've never seen a brand advertise the percentage they use, so I can't Uh confirm uh, nor deny uh, that people are using it in those concentrations. Uh, It kind of has an odor and uh, really um, you don't need a whole lot for it to be effective. So I'm surprised uh, it's being used at those levels, but yeah, I also wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be surprised. I'm surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised. So I believe it if uh, Tasha's saying people are using it, you know, maybe there's something Tasha knows. We don't. Well, and, and it's so it's being used in these types of products that she's asking about, topical skin products as penetration enhancers for the active ingredients like vitamin C. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's possible. Uh, And yes, she is correct. EU regulations stipulate the maximum amount for leave-on products in sprays and non-sprays for cosmetics is 2.6%. You can use it higher uh, when it comes to other product formats like hair colorants like I do. Uh Uh, You can actually use it uh, at 5 and 7%. And then if you're rinsing the product off, you can use it at much higher levels. So if it's a non-hair dye rinse off, like let's say for some reason it's a face wash and you would want to put that kind uh, amount of product in it, you can uh, be used at 10%. And the reason that this product is regulated, uh, one, it being a penetration enhancer, but it has a residual uh, ethylene glycol in it, which is an impurity, going back to our impurity conversation, uh, and that's pretty regulated. So uh, that's what it's doing in your products and that's what the regulations say in Europe. But Uh, The good news is there have been lots of studies on this ingredient, the very heavily studied ingredient. Unfortunately, there are lots of animal testing studies, but that's also fortunately for us. Well, I will add that I looked up the CIR safety data on this, and the dermal testing that showed any effect on the kidneys in rabbits was one gram per kilogram of body weight. So that would be equivalent in humans of about 70 grams. And so if the SkinCeuticals is using 20% and the container is one ounce, that's 30 mils, that would mean that there's about six grams in a container. And to get the level that showed any problems, you would need to apply about 12 bottles of the product. Every day for a certain uh, yeah. time period, and then they would do an right. autopsy on you, and right. they would take a look at your kidneys, and they would see a, a couple tumors. That yeah. is, if the studies translated from mice and rabbits to humans. Exactly. So obviously, no one is doing that, you know, especially at $160 an ounce. Whoa. Uh, so. <laughs> unless you're unless you're Huda Catan. All right, You can right. afford it, yeah, from sure, all those sure. Instagram posts. So anyway, I think you're safe to use it. And no, you don't really have to worry about it causing kidney damage. And I'll also point out that in the U.S., the CIR has determined that the ingredient as it's used in cosmetics is safe for use. Exactly. I I mean, ingredients that undergo comprehensive safety studies like this, they're compiling 
studies from all over the place. They're not necessarily conducting the testing themselves and saying, oh, we think this. They're compiling lots and lots of data. They're third-party scientists. They're looking at the data and saying, you know what, let's calculate a margin of safety, uh, which is where they make all of these uh, risk assessments based on dose, duration of dose, uh, amount of dose. And they're coming up with this number that literally is a number calculation. And they're saying, okay, at this number, is this product safe to use at this use level in this application? And again, it's a margin. There's a little bit of buffer uh, to be on the more cautious side. And in the EU, they have determined that 2.6% in Levon is the recommended exposure limit that gives it a really good margin of safety. So hopefully uh, brands are abiding by this or even what the CIR is recommending. And uh, at the end of the day, you really have to be exposed to a lot of product uh, to have any types of effects. I mean, it's not a carcinogen, right? Because if it were, uh, it would be restricted from use. But uh, as far as the kidneys go, uh, you would have to have a lot of exposure uh, at really high levels every day right. for an extended period of time. Much more exposure than you would expect from getting it from that product. Yeah. So again, if you want to err on the side of caution, avoid products that contain it, although it, it does help with penetration of actives into the skin. That's what it's great for. So looks like we got time for one more. And another Patreon question. Wow, I can't believe we had all these Patreon questions today. Well, you know, if you're a, if you're a patron, you get first priority into what questions we answer. And you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. And then send us your questions so we know what you're asking and we can prioritize answering it on the show. Indeed, indeed. Valentina says, hi, Beauty Brains. Hope you're well. I would like to ask you about hair treatments. There's a brand of very popular for selling the following products. Hair keratin. Hair, <laughs> hair surgery. Oh, hair yes, surgery. That's, a, that's the name of the product. It's very, very clever, which gives moisture and softness to the hair, reduces frizz, and decreases volume up to 70%. And then okay. hair Botox, which oh, rejuvenates boy. the hair, hydrates the hair, nourishes the hair, all the products claim to last long, up to four months. They're free from formaldehyde and ammonia, although I don't know what the heck ammonia would be doing in these products anyway. <laughs> and you can wash your hair. Valentina didn't say that. And you can wash your hair after the application. How can these products resist wash off, but the common keratins get washed away immediately? Are there any side effects for the hair when using these products? Thanks. Well, first I have to say, Valerie, Hair Botox? <laughs> what hair Botox is Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, Allergan, who's the manufacturer of Botox, would not like that they're yeah, using that term. Probably. It's a registered and, mark. But I'm just trying to imagine, would it, so this is a way to volumize your hair because it's Botox and it plumps it up? <laughs> well, you know, get... in going through these three products, I actually was surprised that hair Botox is uh, the one. Uh, Perry was so gracious to research these and pull the ingredients. It's basically water, fatty alcohol, hair conditioners, silicone, preservative, and a hydrolyzed keratin, which, by the way, they don't even write hydrolyzed <laughs> keratin. They write the trade name Carousel. I'm like, that's not real. Hey, brand owners, if you're going to sell a product and put together an ingredient list, don't use chemical raw material trade names. Use the ICI name. <laughs> it's not allowed. That's why there's rules, right? So I'm actually surprised they called this hair Botox because when I think of Botox, which by the way, I get, and I love it, oh, and I used to be embarrassed, <laughs> uh, but I, I just started getting it. So I was very embarrassed for a very short while, and now I'm like, you know what? I don't get as many headaches in my face, so I love there it. There you go. Also, it's, it's a treatment. It's a treatment. <laughs> also, I look younger. But anyway, um, I was surprised because even just as like a consumer, when you think of Botox, you think of like frozen, not moving. Sure. And the first project, a product, hair surgery is a hair straightening system featuring glyoxylic acid, which is the hair straightening active. One would think they would call that hair Botox because it like restraightens the hair and makes it really straight. But I don't imagine it doesn't, I imagine it does not plump up the hair, which maybe that's what the Botox does. <laughs> I have no, no idea. Botox no. isn't a filler, Perry. It's a plumper. 
No. Right? No. What is In it addition do? to our spa day, we need to get Botox <laughs> together. Is that crossing the line? My wife was trying to get me to get it. I'm like, for what? <laughs> and she says, oh, you need it. I'm oh, like, my gosh. Can't... We're so going to get it when you come to L.A. <laughs> oh, oh my. my gosh. Would you do it? Uh, I don't know. I, to, to be honest with you, I would do anything if, if prompted the right way, but uh, I don't know. My, you know my what? Initi- you wouldn't do it if it were free? Oh, well. <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the show, maybe. <laughs> okay, well, like I, I know what I'm, I'm going to get you for Christmas. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so I was just surprised because like, you know, hair surgery I get too because it's like you're realigning these disulfide bonds with the gly- glyoxylic acid, which... By the way, I don't typically like, I think uh, it makes your hair smell like cat urine. It's a little um, odiferous, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even uh, I'm Orthodox Christian and we were uh, in our Easter service a few years ago and I had tried a glyoxylic acid straightening system on oh, one okay. strand of hair. This was probably like eight years ago. Um, and Mr. Cosmetic Chemist, uh, you know, in the Orthodox Church, there's tons of incense just going sure, all over sure. the place. And Mr. Cosmetic Chemist just turned to me in church and he was like, I can still smell your hair. <laughs> oh, my. So anyway, but I, I could see why they call that hair surgery. So anyway, Perry, you did a deep dive into these products. What did you think? Well, the, the hair surgery, I mean, beyond that smell, I mean, they have lavender and rose essential oils that cover up the odor. So maybe that helps. I looked at the keratin treatment. And it's C-terol alcohol, citrimonium chloride, sterile coating. This is a hair conditioner. These these are all hair conditioners. Uh, yep. The Botox and the keratin treatment, I don't see much difference between that and a standard conditioner. They almost have the same ingredients, right? Yeah, they do. And the hair surgery, beyond the, uh, the glyoxylic acid, uh, it's a conditioner. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't see anything terribly special about these products. No. What about side effects? No, I you know I don't think there's going to be any side effects aside from would, smelling like cat urine yeah, in church. Yeah, over I mean, the uh, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I mean, beyond the nearly one hundred dollars for a thirty ounce conditioner that you spend, and you know, a hundred dollars. Yeah, hundred dollars for one of the bottles of these things. I'm in, I'm on the wrong end of the business. <laughs> this formula is a hundred dollars for thirty uh, ounces. $100. I tell you what, it looks a lot like the VO5 conditioner. That yeah, I used to I'm work thinking on. it's a couple bucks for 30 ounces. No kidding, <laughs> well, guys. This looks like uh, the cheapest conditioner ever. $100. Well, it's $100 for 30 ounces. So it's the big bottle, <sighs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, I would say I, I, it won't likely work better than a product that you get for a lot less money. I'm just going to say that. Well, Perry said it, not me. <laughs> anyway, guys. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time for we have today. Yeah, look at us do a five questions. Uh, thank you for all the questions. If you had a question, feel free to record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Or if you're a patron, you can just send it to us right through your Patreon account. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. And if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and tell Valerie a how good great review. she is? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm the better Randy. Even That's though Randy good. was so sweet to leave that message last time. I was so honored. Oh, so sweet. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>